The following is a presentation of AOW Productions. This program contains adult content. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed by the host of this program do not necessarily state or reflect those of this station or its management. Bringing you controversy at its best with uncensored music, comedy, and political discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Outlaw Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Outlaw Radio for the 14th of August, 2021. I'm your host, Bad Billy. Another great show lined up for you this week. In just a little bit, you're going to hear from the youngest guest that we've ever had here in the history of Outlaw Radio. Yes, his name is Thomas Thunder. He's a drummer out of Massachusetts. He's only 14 years old and already making big waves, so... Be interesting to hear from him in just a little bit. In the second hour, AOW Classics, of course, going back uh, 10 years ago, or almost 10 years ago, it was September 2011 when I interviewed former UFC heavyweight champion Maurice Smith. Yeah, so looking forward to uh, sharing that with you. And and then, of course, uh, later on in the show, we got the Steve solution. Before we get to all that, I want to cue one of the latest uh, songs that uh, Thomas Thunder was a big part of. He, actually, he did write this. It's uh, all the instrumental, of course. This is called Crystal Illusion. Now I'll be back with the interview with Thomas Thunder right after this. And we go a little something like this. Hit it. And now, from a rented basement, because Bad Billy's mom threw him out, it's Outlaw Radio.
Hey there, thrill seeker, rocking out to the station. I hear you, you're probably even sipping on a drink right now. An average blah blah drink in a can or bottle, one that doesn't quite hit the spot for you. I'll bet you want something different, don't you? Something more. Take your shot with Cold Cock Whiskey, the best whiskey anywhere. Why? Because it's different from other liquors. Cold Cock Whiskey is herbal whiskey, 100% all natural herbs blended with aged American whiskey. No more morning after sugar hangovers from other liquors. With Cold Cock's blend of herbs, including green tea, hibiscus, ginger, eucalyptus, and more, you'll be in herbal heaven. Cold Cock Whiskey, available at spirit stores and distributors America-wide. Find one near you at coldcockwhiskey.com. Follow Cold Cock Whiskey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Celebrate those special moments with friends. Raise your glass. Take your shot. You must be 21 or older to drink Cold Cock Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. Because there are some people out there who need practical advice. And yes, I'm talking about you. Wisdom beyond value from the desk of Mr. Holland. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger or might make you quadriplegic. So let's keep that insanely positive attitude to yourself. Mr. Holland, Mr. Holland, over here, over here. Ma'am, ma'am, please keep it in your pants. I strongly believe. I think you're d- I have the right to f- Some people live in a world of censorship, forced to keep their thoughts and ideas quiet. But I have the right to freedom of speech. And so do you. Let your voice be heard. I, I have the right to freedom of speech. This message is brought to you by the NAB Education Foundation, the Broadcast Education Association, McCormick Foundation, and this station. So you go into your sporting goods or firearms store to get that gun and ammunition you've been wanting to buy, only to find out that the store doesn't have it. Worse yet, the shelves are bare. They're empty. Ugh. Well, that's why there's GunBroker.com. You want it? GunBroker.com's got it. Guns, gun parts, ammo, ammo storage, reloading equipment, binoculars, scopes, sights. Did I mention guns? Pistols, rifles, handguns, shotguns, machine guns, paintball guns, archery supplies, tools, jewelry, watches, even musical instruments and gear. Yes, GunBroker.com has those too. I'm telling you, they have it all. There are even auctions where you can bid on certain items. The folks at GunBroker.com know their stuff. They've been in business for over 20 years with over 6 million happy registered users. Why not become one of them? GunBroker.com. Go there. Check it out. Register today. It's 100% free. GunBroker.com. GunBroker.com. Hey, I'm Nick, and you're listening to Outlaw Radio, where we say what the fuckity fuck we want. No exceptions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard Crystal Illusion by Thomas Thunder, and it is my pleasure to welcome the youngest guest I've ever had on this show, Thomas Thunder. Welcome to the show. How are you, brother? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I said that uh, you are the youngest guest I've had on the show. And you tell the listeners how old you are? I'm 14 years old. 14 years old. And, and uh, the, way, the way you put you're playing drums. <laughs> wow. Uh, how'd you get started in the first place? Okay. I took lessons at Taught Music. Which is a, which was a local music shop in uh, the town w- which I live in, 
Yeah, I just fell in love with the drums right then and there at five years old. Five years old. So so you've been at this so for nine years and still going strong. Yep, and I love it. Absolutely. I can tell you love it. Yes, indeed. So uh, how old were you when you started recording? Okay. Nine years old. Nine years old when you started recording. So it, it didn't take long. And, uh, no. You, and, of course, uh, because of your talent there, you have received a lot of attention from uh, some pretty well-known artists, correct? Yep. And I'm very blessed with them on my song. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, how, how did it come to be that uh, you've, uh, you've attracted artists like, uh, like Bumblefoot is, is a, <laughs> a good one there that uh, you've worked with? Okay, I met Derek Serenian, the keyboardist who's on some of my songs, on Instagram. And then we contacted him since he sent out a post to all of his followers saying, I will play on your song, just send me your track. And then we sent Derek one of my songs, and he referred me to Bumblefoot and Tony Franklin. Gotcha, gotcha. And... Uh, you said your area. Why don't we uh, enlighten the listeners? Uh, what area are you in? Massachusetts. Okay, so you're you're in the New England area. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so uh, with the, with this uh, attention that you're attracting to, um, what el- what else would you say has has brought all brought your way? What do you think's coming your way? Uh, with the success you're having so far? Well, I think what's been coming my way is amazing. Having interviews like these, gathering all of the attention that I'm getting, very amazing. And I'm, and I'm hoping to continue as a session drummer and a professional songwriter. Yes. Yes, indeed. Now, of course, writing songs is one thing and playing the drums is another. Um, do you find one more difficult than the other? At, at any time? No, I, I like them both equally. Yes. The drums pretty much influenced my songwriting as a whole. Now, I can only imagine with uh, the, the, past, the past year and uh, with COVID happening and everything, too, it's given you a lot more time to practice and a lot more time to write new songs. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean... Um, I mean, they're they're really, especially last year. I mean, yeah, you could go out and do something like, as far as uh, necessities go, but uh, playing gigs, doing anything live, um, it was all done on the internet basically. And what, were you a part a part of doing anything like that uh, for for your fan base as far as uh, uh, performing on online live on uh, Facebook or anything like that? I tend not to do live streams on social media platforms and I and I haven't performed my songs live either since I have not gathered the touring band yet. Yes. And uh, has has anybody uh, reached out to you and and said, you know, we, we we admire your talent, we'd like we'd like you to be a part of the band. Have, has anybody done that for you yet? 
Not yet. Not yet. I mean, with your talent, they 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 haven't expressed interest. Uh, do you think it's because because it's uh, you're at still such a young age, or uh, um, what? What do you think? I I think a part of it might be my young age, yeah. and I'm just starting out. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're just getting your feet wet, but uh, I, like talents like yours, do, I mean, just don't don't come. Uh, come so easily especially at your age too um as far as uh, fr- friends in school and uh, and people like that uh, how um how big has has your fan base been would you say amongst uh, the youth in your area school of rock school of rock <laughs> um okay so school of rock introduced me to music at the start when I was around eight years old uh-huh. and then I got it from there. Nice. And they're very supportive. Yes. Yes, indeed. So I, but, uh, did you do anything like any recitals or anything like that, uh, uh prior to? Yeah. They have, they have a performance band at school of rock and, and, Phenomenally, they put me with the seventeen, eighteen-year-olds when I was only ten years old. And did any of that uh, come to be at all anything overwhelming to you by any chance? No, honestly, honestly, it just influences me even more. It makes me want to write even more when I have people supporting me so much. And. Um, has it, anybody ever ever told you or anything? Because it's a, at such a young age, they don't uh, want want to put a whole lot of pressure on you. Because this, it's happened, you know, with like young athletes who uh, get who get a lot of pressure on them, and then and uh, it it turns out to be too much, and then they they uh, don't meet the expectations uh, that they that uh, the people who came to see them or whoever the powers to be just. Um, you know, have, have those kind of precautions kind of hit, kind of hit you too as well? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yes. So, uh, we, ju- we just listened to, uh, Crystal's Illusions. Um, now, uh, t- talk about, uh, what's, uh, what was the full influence, uh, or the inspiration be- behind that? Okay, so School of Rock had a show where we wrote a score to the movie Nosferatu, mm-hmm. and I wrote that song to Nosferatu originally, and how I write the song, I just come up with a main melody on the piano, and then I go from there. All right, so I take it then there, there are also other instruments that you can play, but drums are pretty much uh, your main forte, so to speak. Yeah, drums are my primary instrument, but I do play guitar, bass, and keyboards as well. And, and But drums was the first one you started out with? Yeah, at five years old. And that That is amazing. And uh, as far as uh, your parents are concerned there, how are they taken to your success? 
Oh, they, they are very proud. They're the ones that started it all for me. They found School of Rock, and they've just been so supportive all the way. They found Derek, Serenity, and they found pretty much everything. They pretty much paved the path for who I'm going to become. Yes, yes, indeed. And uh, I see a very, very bright future for you, indeed. I mean, I... Yes, thanks very much. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I went to school with a kid uh, who could play the drums pretty well, um, you know, and like, like I said, he, he was very good at a young age, and uh, he, he plays with local bands to this day, and you know, he's about my age now. We're, uh, we're getting old. I mean, I'm, I'm in my <laughs> mid-pushing late 40s, and he, like I said, he's about the same age, but he too started very, very young, and uh, as for you, I see, I see you're you're right up there with his skill set. If not, you've already surpassed him. I mean, thanks very much. Yeah, I mean, uh, I got I got to say, I mean, it, it's like I said, it's not, it's just not common to talk to somebody at your age that uh, has the skills and talents that you do. Thank you very very much. Absolutely. So I, I found your page on SoundCloud, too. Now, obviously, you're influenced uh, by a lot of rock and metal, but uh, I see I'm, yeah. he I'm hearing some stuff, too, that could be used in movies, you know, something that could be used in fantasy or horror movies or anything like that. Is, is that part of your drive is uh, for some of your songs? Yeah, I would love to have one of my songs featured in a TV show or a movie. That would that would be a dream come true. Now, when we uh, when we say uh, movies, what to, what genre do you most have in mind? I mean, I mean, I think we could put we could put together um, a a romance theme, and you'd still be proud to have it in there. But your music, like I said, is probably geared more towards action, horror, or fantasy. Yeah, paranormal, mortal, and zombie zillionaires. Those songs are geared towards a horror movie, the horror movie genre. So I love one of my songs to be featured in one of those kinds of movies, or any movie for that matter, because I would just feel so lucky to have that happen to me. Now, uh, aside from the music, I take it you you must be a, a horror movie fan. Yeah, I watch horror movies. <laughs> what are you? What are some of your favorites? What are some of my favorites? The thing, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, of course. And I love the X Files. Oh, oh, talking some uh, parano paranoia activity and stuff like that too. <laughs> so I take it, uh, <laughs> I take it too that uh, if uh, they were they were to put together a metal theme of the uh, X of the X Files theme. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you can search on YouTube and you'll find it, you know, like, uh, one of my favorites from when I was a kid was Dr. Who, and I, I can go on YouTube. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. I can go to, I can go to YouTube and I can find a metal version of the Dr. <laughs> Who theme, but, uh, have you done anything like, um, um, you know, uh, played drums to, to any metal themes like, uh, like the X-Files theme perhaps? No, I haven't. I haven't played drums to a movie yet. 
No, no, I'm, I just mean like a cover that, uh, you know, like you often find on, uh, on YouTube. Oh, no, I haven't, I haven't done any covers to a movie. I've done covers to, of course, songs, but not to a movie. Gotcha, gotcha. What are what? I upload a video every day on Instagram. Yes, yes. And uh, overall, what what are would you say are some of your favorite songs to cover? Um, some of my favorite songs: songs by the bands Dream Theater, Tool, and Sons of, Sons of Apollo, Rush, and Pink Floyd are some of my favorite songs. So, do you? Ever get advice from uh, friends or your parents or in, any other relatives or ever? Uh, they'll they'll present a song to you and say, uh, I'd, "I'd like to hear you cover this," and uh, and uh, you oblige them. Yeah, they they constantly give me suggestions, and I and I and most of the time I will say yes. Gotcha, gotcha. So, have you as as yes, far? Yes, I have a. I have a series on Instagram called Followers Requests where oh, really? I put up a Q&A and the followers will tell me what music they want to hear. And then I'll play that song that the followers request. Now, uh, you just said that uh, you haven't had a chance to play live yet, uh, but is, is that opportunity coming your way very soon? I hope so. <laughs> Nothing planned yet. I mean, it's going. It's going to come. We just don't know when. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, do you uh, have it? Have any uh, influence from any of uh, well-known drummers that uh, say, like uh, John Bonham or Keith Moon? May they rest in peace. Oh, of yeah. course. Um, okay. Okay. You're just you're just naming all the drummers that I love right there. I love John Bonham. I love Keith Moon. And to go into some more modern drummers, I love Danny Carey, Mike Fortnoy. The list goes on for me. And uh, Neil Pierre. I take it uh, Dave Lombardo is on that list. Yeah. <laughs> How can we forget him? <laughs> you can't. Exactly. Exactly. So... So looking towards the future now, um, and as far as playing live, are there, is there any particular place that, uh, you, you'd, uh, absolutely love to play or I any particular event that, uh, that you'd love to play for? I've never, honestly, I've never even thought about a particular venue that I wanted to play live. Honestly, I would just love to be playing my songs live. That would be a dream come true as itself. So it doesn't matter where it is as, as long as you get that opportunity. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, anybody in particular? Yes, I, I'll go on. However, I do, I do play live with School of Rock. Yes. I do cover songs with the performance band around six times a year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, is there anybody in particular you hope that... Uh, you can one day work with? Um, um, well, I've never had anybody in mind that I've wanted to, you know, work with. I'm honestly happy with the thing, the way things are now with working with Derek, Bumblefoot, and Tony. I mean, I've, I've never thought that would happen. It's, 
technically it already has a dream come true for that. Absolutely. You know, I was recently too, I was, uh, one of my favorite bands, um, is uh, Man of War, of course. I mean, I've been listening to them since uh, I was a lot younger than you. <laughs> but, um, they, you know, I watched them. Of course, they've been through different guitar players, different drummers. I've actually had one of their uh, lead guitar players from the past on this show, and it was, it was awesome talking to him. But uh, I noticed they, uh, when they were playing in a concert that you can find on YouTube, they had three drummers that I think they, they were just bringing everybody that's that is or has been in the band before um do you see yourself perhaps working with other drummers as well oh of course I'd love to work with other professional drummers yes I mean I I was wondering I mean how do they how do they make that work with the three drum sets up there and and still even even watching that to me is is a bit surreal because i've i've never even thought of anything like that before that's amazing yes yes indeed so so uh i like i i keep saying here uh go, going forward of course uh, you know we we know what we hope for um we don't know what's going to happen but it, uh, obviously uh has has anybody talked to you about uh, any uh, recording deals with a major label, or would you just rather stay independent, or how would you rather work in that uh, perspective? I'd love to, if I was to choose one record label, it would be Inside Out Music, since they have some of my favorite bands signed to them, and I'd like to hear how that would work out. Yes, yes. And just just for our listeners a little bit, uh, talking about how how it works uh, digitally, um, you know, I mean, uh, th this is a different age, and even before all this COVID crap hit us, uh, you know, I was talk I was talking with uh, with members of bands that uh, are in different places in the country. Somebody's in Los Angeles, and they uh, they record a piece of it, and pass it, they email it, or to uh, the next person who's probably in Texas and he fills it in doing the mixing it up. You know, obviously that's how you're working with Bumblefoot and Derek, but uh, you explain that. Yeah, we do. We do everything online. Everything's done online. What I do is I make the demo of the song on GarageBand on my iPad, and then I send it to Derek, he does the keys, and then Derek sends it to everybody else. And that's how that usually works. And then it gets sent off to be mixed by Bumblefoot. And then there you go, you have the song. Now, has the uh, so-called final cut been sent to you and said, um, well, I, I kind of want to change that part a little bit. Zach that can sound a little better or any, any results like that? No, Derek's never... Derek's never brought me down in any of that kind of way or any of the other musicians. They never changed the part. They play exactly whatever I do. That's awesome. That's awesome. I don't know. I, cause I'm thinking if it were me, I'm, I'm going to, I want to make sure it's done as, as perfectly as possible. I mean, but, you know, cause 
that's just the way I am uh, with the things that I do, you know, considering this show you're on. I want to make sure it's all done perfectly, even though that's not always the result that I want. Um, but uh, you don't even have to ask for that, huh? They'd, it's It just meets your satisfaction from the get-go. Yeah. And, and they and they always I'm always satisfied with whatever they send. Every the first time it's always perfect. Uh, that's that's great. That's great. Uh, I take it though, um the communication has all has all been online or over the phone or whatever, but you, have you have you had the opportunity to meet these guys in person? I've met Derek Serenian and Bumblefoot in a Sons of Apollo concert since they were in that band a year and a half ago. Yes. You know, I, I was uh, I was recently talking uh, with the guys from AD 2020. I'm pretty sure you heard of them as well, since Bumblefoot's a big part of them as well. And uh, I talked to Bumblefoot back in 2017 when he was with um, Sons of Anarchy. And one thing uh, that just impressed me is I didn't really get to meet Bumblefoot in person. I, you know, I talked to him on the phone here when I interviewed him and I... Um, Saw he he he's a he's a wonderful person, Bumble, yeah. Bumblefoot. He had a, he had a meeting, a whole meeting with me on Zoom a month ago, for no cost. Oh man, for two hours. Yeah, he yeah he is awesome. He is awesome. I was just gonna say though, one of the things that really impressed me was when I watched him uh, when he's getting ready to perform his set with. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, of course, they got they got music playing before the set starts, and I think uh, they were playing uh, Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath, and he's using that to tune up his guitar and get ready, and then they play a song by Dropkick Murphy, and he's he's playing along to that, and he, he just adapts to it, everything he does so well, and especially playing that double neck, too. Oh, yeah, his, his guitar technique and style is awesome in my opinion <laughs> and and he's very very unique, unique very unique indeed and all the way down to his name which comes to an uh, is an animal disease <laughs> yeah yes so like, like uh we you just released uh, crystals of illusion just very recently uh is there can you give any kind of teaser or anything of when the next track is going to be released okay the next track is going to be called Pharaoh's Temple. It's going to be released on Friday, August 27th. It's going to feature the same musicians as before. And it's going to be the, the same, pretty much the same style as before with an Egyptian twist. To give you a teaser. Ah. So, sounds like something that could be used in a movie when they're on an ancient battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. I just have one more question for you because it's been awesome talking to you. And like I said, this, this oh, is, it, it's, it's been wonderful talking to you. Absolutely. I mean, this is, I can't say this enough. Uh, talking to somebody, your talent is just something that, uh, that doesn't come very often so, at, at your age. Too. Thank you very much. I mean, you know, because I, I tell you, before I before I did Outlaw Radio, I did uh, I did a lot uh, a show that covers mostly uh, the MMA scene and uh, boxing, and I've 
And now some of the fighters that I talked to 10 years ago have made it to the UFC. Now, here I am talking to you, and uh, who, yeah. who knows where you're going to be 10, 10 years down the road. I mean, if they're making it to the UFC with their talents, and here you are with your talents. You're, you're going to be in a band a, and, a, and a big one at that, I'm sure. Thank you very much. Yes. So my last question, um, say, uh, say a group of kids right around your age or maybe even a little older, 15 to early 20s, uh, approach you and tell you they're going to start a band and break into this business. As young as you are, I'm pretty sure you can give them some advice. What advice do you think that would be? Um, um, what, what advice? Yeah. Honestly, I would, I would kind of be dumbstruck if I've had a question like that because I've never been asked something like that before. But about what I would, but the one words, one word that I would say is you got to make sure to practice your instrument and be prepared. So you don't show up and... You don't know what songs you're doing, or you don't know the song. You know, you got to know the songs. You got to be prepared and stay focused. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I I mentioned the kid too that I I went to school with who who was who was very good in drums as well. At that time too, uh, I was take I started guitar, but really didn't continue with it. But I remember I I was I'd be jamming a little bit, and he was so tough to keep up with because you could play any song, and of course uh, he'll figure out the beat and play along with it too. But uh, he he could get going so fast that the the rest of the, the rest of the band couldn't keep up with him at times. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, it, that and it I happens to me a lot too. Yeah, it's it's something sometimes, that sometimes sometimes. The guitarist or somebody will, you know, speed up. And sometimes because you're the drummer, you have the opportunity to slow other band members or speed other band members up. So because that happens sometimes, you know, you pretty much just control the tempo of the song. Yes, indeed. That's part of the reason why they say the drummer is the backbone of the band. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, indeed. (laughs) All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time here on the show, and uh, best of luck to you in your future thank endeavors. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And before we go to an upcoming music set, where I'm going to play uh, about three more of these songs we're talking about here, I uh, want you go ahead and uh, give the listeners a plug. You're obviously on Instagram, but tell the listeners uh, where they can find you online. Whether you've got social media, got if you got a website, anything on Reverb Nation. I think I already said SoundCloud. Go ahead. Yeah, I've got music on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, as as you said. And I've got a website that has links to all of my social media and streaming platforms where you can listen to the music there. And YouTube as well. <laughs> what? ThomasThunderMusic.com is the name of the website. ThomasThunderMusic.com. Go check it out. Like I say, you don't find talent like this uh, every day. But So, hey, once again, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you in your thank future you. endeavors. And there you have the interview with Thomas Thunder. All right, going to go to the next music set. Got three more songs by Thomas Thunder. Also going to include Mary Cutter and a brand new one from Tom McDonald into the mix. Be right back after this. 
This is the kind of thing that just tickles my balls. You're listening to Outlaw Radio, and if you don't agree with our opinions, then fuck your mother. Hey, do you kiss your girlfriend with that mouth?
everyone deserves part of the American dream. But how do you get your part of the pie? We're the Economic Recovery Group. We'll show you how to get what you deserve as an American by claiming disability, unionizing and goofing off, or how to become a Native American tribe and open a casino in your garage or basement. It's the government's job to bail you out and give you the lifestyle you deserve. You shouldn't have to pay taxes. Someone else should. The Economic Recovery Group. Call today and we'll help your government help you.
fell asleep, but they scream woke. We're distracted by vaccines and TV shows. Politics, celebrity, gossip, popular, neat quotes. Black lives, white lives, which lives mean most? We only dedicate one day to remember our fallen soldiers, the men and women who died young. But if you come out the closet as Caitlyn Jenner, you're a hero and you get a whole pride month. The most dangerous pandemic's propaganda from these clowns. Only mass that's gonna save us is duct tape on their mouths. Don't speak. We don't need to defund police, need to defund the media who lies through their teeth like Big Pharma doesn't cure you, dog. Cause every patient that gets cured is a customer lost. And big oil runs the world. The only wars that get fought are with the countries who have natural resources they want. Heard him claiming if a white man braids his hair and likes rap, he's appropriating culture. But if a white man acts too white, he's white trash He's a racist, he's a bigot, he's a monster Let's just have the conversation Not every liberal is dumb, not all Republicans are racist The government wants everybody fighting with their neighbors Cause they know that if we get along, we'll probably go against them They can't stop us Cause we're ready to fight Trying to brainwash us But we won't let freedom die The whole world's brainwashed Monkeys become people and people turned into sheep They put fluoride in the water that's keeping us all asleep Claim they want what's best for us, I find it hard to believe Cause they've been selling us cigarettes since we was 18 Fake news, fake woke, distract and divide You're either right or you're left or you're black or you're white Big tech don't need a microchip to hack in your life Cause the phone inside your pocket is a tracking device And I don't know what I'm more sick of Rappers or Joe Biden looking like he ate 100 Xanax for dinner Cause censoring the president and kicking him off Twitter Is a bigger threat to freedom than foreign ballistic Missiles. You don't trust the police or the government, but you want people giving up their right to own a firearm. Why would you be comfortable if police and the government the only people on the planet with the right to buy a gun? White privilege getting amplified to reinforce division. It convinces white people that they're favored by their skin, and black people getting angry because they're told they're treated different. So the conflict is between us and never with the system. Let's just have the conversation. Not every liberal is dumb, not all Republicans are racist. The government wants everybody fighting with their neighbors because they know that if we get along, we'll probably go against them. They can't stop us because we're ready to fight. Trying to brainwash us, but we won't let freedom die. The whole world's brainwashed. Everybody pick a team, start a riot in the streets. The whole world's brainwashed. It's against them, it ain't you against me. Step one, train the people only to consume. Step two, infiltrate adults with the news. Step three, indoctrinate the children through the schools and the music and the apps on the phones that they use. Step four, separate the right from the left. Step five, separate the white from the black. Step six, separate the rich from the poor. Use religion and equality to separate them more. Step seven, fabricate a problem made a lie. Step eight, put it on the news every night. Step nine, when people start to fight and divide, take control. This is called situation. No design. They can't stop us. Cause we're ready to fight. Trying to brainwash us. But we won't let freedom die. The whole world's brainwashed. Everybody pick a team, start a riot in the streets. The whole world's brainwashed. Us against them, it ain't you against me.
There is no other feeling than strapping up or grabbing those kettlebells, grappling on the mat, or doing some shadow boxing, getting knocked down, getting back up, throwing strikes, and then doing it all over again. So when you hear someone scream, gear up, you better get ready, because it's just you, your Hunter Athletic Gear, and the voice telling you to train harder. No matter how much experience you have, Hunter Athletic Gear stands with you all the way. Their products are engineered for utmost comfort, protection, and speed. Battle after battle, Hunter Athletic Gear is the brand celebrating your victory. Hunter Athletic Gear has a range of great training and fight gear for men and ladies, including compression pants, fight shorts, hoodies, vests, caps, and bikinis. They can create custom branded ranges for your gym or business. Visit their website at huntermma.co.za. Gear up and let's train. What news and information are your media dollars buying when the narrative is prescribed by the advertisers? Scripted lies, media brainwashing, and thought control. Take back your voice. Take back our media. But most of all, take back our First Amendment. Subscribe to Caravan to Midnight today for hard-hitting commentary free from political correctness and media bias as I and some of the most intelligent and interesting people on Earth delve deep into what really lies beyond the headlines. Three to four hour uninterrupted and uncensored information. Join our CTM family today. Join the movement. Join the fight for freedom and independence. Caravan to Midnight is media for the people, by the people, independent of commercial obligations or influence. For less than a cup of coffee per month, you can make a difference. Let the people fund the next news network. Help us grow. Help us create a platform where we place freedom of speech and thought first. Join the family at caravantomidnight.com. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment of the United States of America's Constitution. This Second Amendment, the right of law-abiding Americans to privately own and possess firearms, is under attack like no other time in America's history. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have pledged to take away your Second Amendment rights through gun bans, gun confiscations, and government regulations. Even a gun tax. Do not take this lying down. The time to take action and fight to protect your Second Amendment rights is now. Join the Second Amendment Foundation, the oldest and largest nonprofit foundation focused on protecting your Second Amendment rights. For more information, to join or to donate, visit saf.org. And now a message for the men. Listen up, guys. Fact. As we men age, our IGF-1 growth factor levels decrease, which can lead to gradual deterioration of energy, muscle growth, and immune function. From Neutronics Labs comes a line of health supplements that make men men again. Deer Antler Velvet. Listen. IGF-1 Plus Deer Antler Velvet contains the most concentrated source of widely diversified nutrition found in the plant or animal kingdom. Choose from Neutronics Labs liposome spray product. From the Ultra 10,000 Nanograms Package to the Platinum 300,000 Nanograms Package. There are also specially formulated supplements for joint pain relief, more energy, better stamina, better natural sleep, stress relief, and weight loss. For more information about these amazing products, visit keys2life.shop. That's K-E-Y-S, the number two, life.shop. IGF-1 Plus Deer Antler Velvet Supplements from Neutronics Labs. Making men, men again. 
Yo, baby, you've had your asshole licked by a fat man in an overcoat? You're listening to Outlaw Radio. Now buy a sewing machine, take it home, and cram it up your ass. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outlaw Radio, brought to you by Cold Cock Whiskey. Raise your glass, take your shot. You must be 21 years of age or older to drink. Hunter Athletic, gear up, let's train. USAC, the United South Africa Coalition, and Neutronics IGF-1, Making Men, Men Again. The songs you just heard, you just heard Thomas Thunder with King Kronos before that. Brand new one from Tom McDonald, Brainwashed. Another one from him makes a lot of sense in stating some facts. Before that, Tom Thomas Thunder with The Bull. Before that, Mary Cutter with I Realize. And starting off the whole set, Thomas Thunder with Nebula. All right, in just a little bit, going to feature the AOW Classic interview with former UFC heavyweight champion Maurice Smith. Before I get to that, it is time to reveal... The Outlaw Radio Idiot of the Week. And ladies and gentlemen, the idiot of the week this week is none other than the Dominator. Yes, Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, uh, fuck him. That's what I'm going to say. He, he can go to hell. Um, he's all about the vaccines. He's all about wearing the fucking masks. And uh, this, these masks, you know, and all the, these rules, they're, you know, they're putting a damper on our liberty. And what does he say? Screw your freedom over a virus that isn't that serious. Ooh, but it's killing people. Uh, it's n- not, people aren't dropping in record numbers like they did with the bubonic plague. More people died from tuberculosis last year. More people died from cancer last year. <laughs> you know, and a lot of the people that, uh, they have marked down from COVID. Uh, those are questionable. Like somebody who died in a car wreck because he had COVID. The car wreck killed him, but because he had COVID, uh, they marked COVID down as the cause of death. It's a bunch of bullshit, and Arnold is feeding into it. Now, listen to him. Yeah, you have the freedom to wear no mask, but you know something? You're a schmuck for not wearing a mask because you are not supposed to protect your fellow members around you. There is a virus here. It kills people. And the only way we prevent it is, is to get vaccinated, to wear masks, to do social distancing, washing your hands all the time, and not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he can go to hell. I'm done watching his movies. Fucking boycott. Calls himself a Republican. He's a fucking rhino. Fuck him. Anyway, enough on that. It is time for Outlaw Radio AOW Classics with former UFC heavyweight champion Maurice Smith. Digging deep into the history of AOW Productions, this is an Outlaw Radio AOW Classic. Joining me this week 
He's a veteran of K-1, been with the K-1 organization since it first made its debut in 1993. The second ever UFC heavyweight champion took the title from Mark Coleman being the first striker to uh, ever defeat a grappler in an impressive fashion. I'd like to welcome Maurice Smith from Seattle, Washington. Yeah, Maurice, how you doing today? Good. Hey, that's great. Um, my first question I have to ask you is, uh, what made you want to get involved in the fighting arts to begin with? What was your early inspirations? Well, as you pretty much know a little bit, I'm, I'm a striker, so I started in, uh, after watching a Bruce Lee movie, to be honest with you, and saw the movie Chinese Connection. I thought that was cool stuff, and then a couple years later, I got, a couple years later, I got in and started doing traditional martial arts, karate, taekwondo, and kung fu, and then. That was about 13 at the time I started. And then at 18, I started turning to kickboxing. And then from 18 until 1996, I did kickboxing. And then 96 until present day, I did MMA and kickboxing. Now, um, very important to note uh, that uh, you're obviously very well known in the UFC. I mean, former and second ever uh, UFC heavyweight champion. Um, I think I'll be first, if you got because huh? I think Cole was tournament. So that's still tried to turn it or the actual. Um, uh, well, okay, yeah, second. Because Coleman was first, I was second, correct. Yeah, yeah, because you, you took the title from Coleman. From Coleman, that's right. Yes. I stand um, corrected. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Um, and uh, it doesn't matter who you won or lost to, looking at your resume, it's extremely impressive, especially even your losses in K1 were to the very best. I mean, the very, very best that, uh, you know, you fought a who's who in K1. Ernesto who's, Andy who, Mike Bernardo, uh, Jerome LeBanner. The, yeah. the list goes on. Right. Just like in the UFC, same thing. And just like in yeah. strike, uh, yeah, pretty much for all the top guys in the beginning of the game of both kickboxing and MMA, correct. Yes. And uh, one guy that's very well known in the world of kickboxing, uh, maybe forgotten by some, I, don't, I wouldn't know why, but uh, go ahead and tell our listeners about uh, your fight with uh, Don the Dragon Wilson early oh. in your career. <laughs> oh, yeah, Don was, listen, I fight Don when I was around 21, I believe, 2021, and yeah. he was, he, uh, you know, we fought in Japan, it was my first trip to Japan. And, you know, uh -huh. I didn't have the experience to be done back in the day, but it was a good experience for me. I learned a lot. I lasted, I lasted the, the round with him, and I started fighting when I became champion. I mean, Don was a great, like a great mentor to me in a lot of ways. He kind of took me in his wing as far as man-to-man, -man, not as much as martial artist, but man-to-man. -man. And he's, he's, he's kind of like an older brother in some aspects. He was very, very influential in that respect. And I gave him a lot, of, a lot of praise, a lot of, you know, knowledge that I needed to know. And, yeah, no, Don was, Don was a great, great, great guy. And you... Uh Fought him uh, eleven rounds, correct? Correct. And it was a now, good experience for me. <laughs> um, I do have to ask, uh, since you know K one is known for having maybe a maximum of five rounds, maybe a sudden death round. I, I'm not too sure, um, but uh, you know, and most of kickboxing I know of, uh, at least to this day, don't go any more than than three rounds that I know of. But uh, what was the uh, what were the championship rounds uh, back then in kickboxing? Well, back then there was 12 rounds in, back in the 80s. And in, in the 90s, 2000, it became five rounds. So five rounds is pretty much the maximum you're going to do for five three-minute rounds for a title fight. And then you might do five, three, three three-minute rounds for non-title fights. But five is the most we'll do. Because it's a, it's a different, different work than MMA. It's a, different, it's a more anaerobic workout. 
and you know it's um, it's it's it's, it's going to make you tired more than MMA because it's more no excuse me, more aerobic excuse me, more aerobic workout. So oh, you know, five rounds is enough, you know. Five three rounds is hard. Yeah, I, I can imagine so. I mean, and uh, I mean we all know boxing goes. Uh, 12 rounds, but kickboxing going 12 rounds, uh, I mean, I can, I can imagine that's even much more tiring. But then it was too many rounds back then. Two, or 12 two. rounds. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, hang on, wait a minute. Let me think back. Hold on, go back a couple of years. No, it was three... I, no, I have to look back. I think it's three minute rounds. Three minute, two, three, two minute rounds. Three minute rounds, I believe so. Now I think about it, yeah. But yeah, either way, I'm sure it was... No more, I'm pretty sure to look back at my history, but I'm sure it's three minute rounds and Twelve rounds is a lot of work, you know. And then, but then with the kick, when they changed the kickboxing, more of the K1 style, it became with knees and elbows, with knees, so it made it down to five minute, three minute rounds, five rounds max. More than Muay Thai, not quite 100 percent Muay Thai. Now, have you but, ever competed in Thailand under full Muay Thai no, rule? No, 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 no. I never been fighting Thailand before. I have fought with full Muay Thai rule once or twice, but I was against I was against more for, uh, Europeans and. Uh, it's, to me, the, the Thai boxing to me is by far the best striking martial art out there. I don't care anybody who can, who can argue with me if they like, but it's the best striking martial art out there. But unfortunately for people, they don't understand that the rules, how it works, and basically the, the setting is pretty much anybody can punch, so you get less points for punching, you get less points for kicking, you get more points for knee, you get more points for elbows. So even though you may see a guy kicking and punching more in a Muay Thai fight, and it's Muay Thai, I feel called Muay Thai, but it's Muay Thai, but the guys are doing more knees and knees and elbows get more points it's a harder technique to, to, to hit with so that's kind of why you know, we, we might get confused on why a person may want to be punching more and kicking more but he's not doing the clinching work and the knee work and the elbow work that the other person is so it's, a hard, it's not for everybody it's, but it's definitely a great martial art oh I far. agree I agree I find it to be one of the most exciting martial arts I've uh, out of all that uh, I've looked into and studied a little bit, uh, you know, Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are the ones that uh, stand out to me the most. Um, well, yeah, by far. I mean, I think nowadays, I think what is best happens with all this MMA stuff is that it makes a better martial art complete, meaning that, yes, if you're thinking back in the times of the 80s, 90s, 70s, or whatever, most martial artists from, say, traditional karate, kung fu, taekwondo, boxing, blah, 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 I would say, well, if I fight a wrestler, if I, if I don't knock him out, He's going to kick my ass. That's what they would say. And they accept that. And vice versa for a wrestler and a judo, a judo guy is that, you know, what they, they knew what they were weak at, but if they do get you with their, with their strength, they're going to kill you. Now, with the advent of MMA, now you have a better chance of competing in anybody's system. So this is what's interesting about me now, that I can fight a boxer, a wrestler, a, a, a jiu-jitsu guy. And again, it's not saying that one person can't win or lose, but I have a better knowledge of his attack more than he had another, I mean, more than, more so than he had another my attack, but I'm saying, back in the day, it was, it was too much, one's martial art, that was the first, when the first UFC first came out, it was, you know, com- competitive martial, martial artists com- fighting each other, and it was really like, who's the best martial art, well now, neither one's the best martial art, but they're, they're better as a combination. Absolutely. Now, uh, we know that uh, K1 is like maybe, uh, if you, you want to go to the birthdays of the UFC and K1, K1's like maybe uh, six months older, maybe more than the UFC, but both of them came out to, in uh, 93, I believe. Correct, correct. Yes. Um, now, and you've pretty much been there since the infancy of K1. Are, were, were you involved in the very first K1 event? Or yeah, that's how I lost Ernest for the very first K1. Okay, so uh, when you you fought Ernesto Houston, unfortunately, 
things did not fall in your favor. Right, that's the game. That's the game. It happens. You win, you lose, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I want to go ahead and tell our listeners about uh, that first fight with uh, Ernesto. Well, the first fight with Ernesto, I thought, was a good fight. The first round, the second round, he got a little bit better on some, uh, I think, crunch work where I did over me. And the third round was pretty good until he caught me with a kick. And he caught me with a, he faked a straight right to my body, and then he fell behind his right with a high round kick on my, he threw a, no, excuse me, a straight left, and then his leg fell behind it. So he got, so when he threw his, his leg, his left, he threw his, his arm was down, and then his leg came up right behind him. It's, just, it's, on, it's on YouTube. You can check it out. It's pretty cool. I mean, he got me a cool technique, and, I mean, I lost his best, and we fought again, and he beat me again, but not the same way. But at that time also, I started switching. And by a few years later, we fought, I think, in uh, 96 or 97, we fought. Maybe been longer than that. We fought again in Las Vegas, and he beat me on points. Yeah. But I wasn't giving myself. But by that time, I'm mixing between MMA and kickboxing. So, but I mean, now, you know, he, 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 he matured later than I did. I matured before he did. I mean, he became champ after I became champ. And, I mean, he, he, he got into his game. He was a good fighter. He, there's nothing you can say about Ernesto. He's a strong fighter. I mean, Peter. I mean, Peter, Peter and Ernesto were my only real guy that beat me a lot. I mean, Peter beat me every time. I think the last time I beat him, but they gave it to me anyhow. But those are my hardest yeah. fights, really, with Peter and Ernesto. Now, he looked like uh, one of the few opponents. I mean, I look at uh, a lot of your fights, whether it be uh, kickboxing or MMA, that uh, it looked like you had a, had a decent reach advantage over oh, yeah, uh, yeah. most of your opponents, except for or Ernesto. Did, I mean, I couldn't see. I can't read the and Japanese, Peter. right? And Peter. And Peter. They, yes. they both had the, the reach advantage over you? Yeah. Uh, since uh, you mentioned Peter Arts, uh, um, how many times did you fight him? We fought four times. First time he, he beat me. Second time he knocked me out cold. My first time I really knocked out. I mean, that was a really cool knockout because I didn't feel it, but it was, it was nice. Third time he KO'd me. And the fourth time we fought in Vegas. And I thought I won that round, but I thought I won the, I thought I won the first two rounds. He won the third round, but they called it a, based on these little 9.9 point something system, whatever the hell it was, which is kind of dumb. But based on that, we did a little extra round, and he beat me an extra round. Um, I'm pretty much convinced, you know, the 9.9, if you can give me a 9.6, you can basically say the guy won. Why go 9.6, right? Well, if you can say 9.5, that means you can tell one guy won. I mean, to me, a, a point, is, this isn't uh, swimming or not swimming. This isn't uh, gymnastics, whatever. Just call it the guy won or the guy didn't win. So anyway, they gave, it, they gave him the, the third round. He beat me. And that was it. But I thought that was a great fight. That was my best fight against him since the first fight. And that Absolutely. was in, I think that's 2000, and, I say, I want to say one, 2001. Okay. Now, um, your first taste of uh, MMA was in Pancrase, correct? Uh, not really. It was actually in, actually in UWF back in 89. And I got okay. a, I, but I wasn't yeah, but I wasn't really into the grappling at that time. I just kind of went in there for a show, and then uh, when I, then I went back and forth over time. And even when I got in Pancras, I really wasn't into grip, into grappling that strong when I got involved in Pancras. So I was more or less to help draw attention to the sport. And then after that, in '96, we started focusing on grappling. And that's when I fought um, Conan. Yes. Now, pro going into that, uh, I think uh, I've heard you say you never had wrestled, uh, done any kind of high school wrestling or anything like that, correct? Correct. Well, not at a serious level, definitely. I think we did in school, we had to do it in school, but not at a serious level, no. 
But what I did for Cornab, basically, is I talked to Frank and I, because Frank became my trainer because Ken couldn't train me, because we, we were becoming buddies, Ken and I, but he was he got pulled to the WWF at the time, or WWE, or WWF, I think it was. Yeah. And so he called me out to Frank, and then Frank and I, we started working together, and I started asking Frank, what's the big deal about the, the mount and the guard and blah, blah, blah. So he told me what it was, really wasn't that big a deal, blah, 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 blah. And I started training about a month for Cornab for that fight. Now, uh, what I was also going to ask you, because uh, you've studied a variety of martial arts, mostly the striking arts, but uh, did you have anything like a little bit of experience in judo, which is grappling, uh, to help you in that aspect a little bit? I should, but I haven't. I mean, I think if I had to do it over again, I would say learn judo and Greco-Roman, I think, a little bit, um, yeah. because they're very similar in some aspects. But that part of me, I've come to the conclusion that I don't have really good take down the fence in that respect, so once I go to the ground, I'm okay. I don't really worry about it anymore. My grappling game is decent enough against most people. I can pretty much hold my own sort of to the most to the most of my to the most part I can handle most myself on my own on the ground. But the judo part, the middle ground, the middle part of the fight, not too good at you know, the Greco Roman judo don't get the ground easily. Okay. Now um But I should practice it, yes. I'm trying a little bit. It's it's quite all right. <laughs> Um, now, going to talking about uh, Pancrase a little bit. Um, now, I know she fought uh, Minoru Suzuki twice. Uh, was one of those fights under special rules, uh, kickboxing? Yeah, we had a kickbox. One rule was kickboxing, one one round. I mean, we did two fights. One round we kick. One, one time we did kickboxing pure, I think. One time he had gloves on, I didn't have gloves on. Oh, I had gloves on, he didn't have gloves on. Um, but see, Japan was more about it's entertainment. It's still kind of a real fight as far as trying to hurt somebody, but it was just weird. We could do a lot more stuff in Japan. Japan had a, had a great martial art, you know, time, but it's just unfortunately they lost a lot of their money. And where and why, I don't know. I, I think I know why they lost some of their money, but that's, but that's another issue in K1. But Pancras was pretty much, again, more about, for me, it got me my foot in the door of grappling to some to some degree. Like, I fought Boss twice, I fought uh, Ken once, I fought... Um, Suzuki about twice. I think I fought uh, Funaki in Packers once and once in EWF. And I fought uh, Maeda, Maeda uh, mm-hmm. once. And I think that was my, my stand with the, um, oh, one of the guys in Fouquet, Fouquet. And I fought him once. So by the time I fought those guys, you know, my game wasn't strong in grappling yet because I was still focused on kickboxing too. So by the time I got out of that, we were done with the trying because somehow the interest of Grappling became a cornerstone of my life now. Now, um, going to that fight a little bit, is it safe to uh, the fight with uh, Minoru, where you you say you wore gloves and he didn't? Um, is it uh, safe to assume you can compare it a little bit to the fight between uh, Inoki and Muhammad Ali? Well, I don't know the rules were back then, but if the rules are the same, I would say because I, I was a kid back then. I'm only I'm only 49, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I realize that. <laughs> but I, I don't know what the rules were for that fight, but the rules were I can kick and punch as hard as I like, and he can he can grapple with me. And oh. yeah, I, I guess it could be the same rules. It could be. I, I don't know. Yeah. I just know that um, Ollie wore gloves and uh, and and uh, Onoki yeah, wore none. Yeah. Correct. It, yeah, he didn't. That's that's. Anyway, so I want to talk about the first fight I ever uh, seen you in, which was against uh, Conan Silvera. But uh, what uh, got to 
you looked uh, very well prepared for that fight, as as did he, uh, not taking anything away from him. But I do think he underestimated you. I think uh, he he did not realize that how hard you had been working on your grappling, and you were prepared for him, especially when he mounted you. You immediately reversed him. Um, at least, uh, go ahead and tell our listeners all about that fight and uh, the preparation for that fight. Well, like I said earlier in this conversation, I said that I trained uh, with Frank um, with the, the, the thing about, because this is when Judicial was new to everybody in, in the fighting game, except for grapplers who go to Japan. And I, and I, and all I kept hearing in, in, the, in the business when I watched the fight was the mount, the guard, the mount, the guard. So I said, well, Frank, what's so big about this and what's so big about that? And he just explained to me that the, the mount had a big deal. You know, he said, you can give it back if you're not too prepared for it. And, and the guard, you know, what can, the guy holds you in the guard, what are you going to do? He's going to you arm bar you, triangle, or whatever. So if you want to know two things, you, you, you had a nice idea what to expect. I mean, I'm, not, I'm simplifying it, but that's pretty much how it was back then. Um, so when I, got, when I got mounted, I wasn't worried about it too much. I mean, um, but I, I never developed a closed guard game myself. I prefer always an open guard game. But at that time, I, I was still... By the time I fought Mark... I had an open guard game pretty good. But when I fought Conan, it, was, it, it just was about keeping it on my feet, and I didn't have to, use it. I didn't have to, I didn't have to go to the guard very often. Once, I got, once you got tired, and a key, a key thing back in the day also was that a lot of guys didn't focus on conditioning. They just focused on wrestling and jiu-jitsu. But they, there's an anaerobic, uh, there's an aerobic condition that's necessary that I had and still have over you know, those guys back then. So you look when I fought... Conan, he didn't have the conditioning. When get, by the time he got to the second round, he was tired. And by the time he got to the third round, he was, you know, he was even more tired. Well, now I'm on my feet, I'm like, I'm like a fish in the water. It's perfect, that's just perfect for me. So when we fought the third round, he was tired, and I just, I played, I just did low kick, low kick, and a high kick. Boom, and that was it. And it became, because I beat him, and me being a quote-unquote kickboxer, I was like, ooh, kickboxer beats a, a legitimate fighter, beats a grapple, jiu-jitsu guy, you know, it was big news. And then the downside to me was that all the kickboxing I had done prior to this fight I wasn't known in America, but because I did one fight, become a celebrity or a star in this country. But not, and then on the downside again, that is that it's all I'm only miss, mostly known as a striker. I'm a grappler. I'm not really a grappler. People who know me and people who really know the sport know I'm not a grappler. I, I, I can play. But I'm not a grappler. But the, the, the downside is again, it, it kind of negated my my previous career, and you know, it kind of went to the to the dead as far as people knowing. But in that, in that aspect, it gave the idea that hey. You know, if you have a good striking game, you have a good you know, down the fence, or you have a good uh, get up from the bottom and send the feet. You know, you can win a fight typically. So it was, you know, it was, it was a good fight. And then after I fought Conan, I went to fight to Kazanari uh, after Conan. And after now, Conan became Coleman. I do. What I got to ask about uh, one other thing about the uh, Conan fight is uh, probably my favorite moment, other than the uh, knockout kick that you landed was the exchange in the second round where, uh, you know, he threw a few uppercuts. It looked like oh, yeah, maybe yeah. a couple of them got through. But uh, the way you ca- you came at him with straight, crisp punches and then a couple of kicks that landed, like, to the center of his back or so. Did did, uh, did his punches uh, get through in that exchange, or were you covered up well uh, enough? I, I, he might have hit me. If I was look at it, he might have hit me. But nothing that made any, any effect, right? I mean, yeah. you know, the bottom line is either you keep punching until you get hurt, or get rocked, or you, or you knocked out. So if he hit me, he might. I don't think Epicus hit me, but maybe something could have hit me. And I looked at the video, but I don't. I wasn't hurt in that fight by any stretch of imagination. So just just to put it that way, he didn't hurt me in any way. Um, 
No, I don't recall anything hitting me that hard. But I thought it's the video, and maybe, maybe if I look at it again, I'll say, "Oh yeah, you hurt me then." But I don't think he hurt me. Even that cut. Now, you already mentioned Kazanari, and uh, that same night he had beaten Bart Vale. And speaking of Bart Vale, I had him on this very show a few months ago, and we talked a little bit about you. Um, I do have to ask you: Had Bart Vale won that night, and you would have fought him in Battlecade Four, how would you have felt about that matchup? I don't care. I mean, listen, I'm a competitor, right? That's why you look at my, if you say my record, I fight with the who's who in the business. I'm a guy that, you know how good you are until you fight the best and whoever, or whoever considered the best. So, to me, when I went to this business in MMA, I, I, had, I went in there very confident, even though I didn't know a lot of stuff still, but I was very confident in my abilities as a fighter. So, going against Bar would just be in a fight, you know, going against whomever they put in front of me. Just like I... I mean, really, if I go against somebody, you know, okay, my career shows like I'm going to say there's a goal against in my time. Bart was just going to be another fighter for me. I mean, and that's taken from Bart. It's just this who I am. I don't care who I fight. I don't have any yeah. animosity to anybody. To me, it's just competition. It's like, like, like the old gladiators. Who's the best at what they do? If I win, great. If I lose, fine. You know, it's the way it is. I just, I just, uh, I just think, you know, even though... You, Kazanari came at you very aggressively, and yeah. it was an exciting yeah. fight. <laughs> it was an exciting fight, but uh, I would have loved to have seen you and Bart Vale um, matched up. You know, I think that would have been a great fight, but that's my opinion. <laughs> well, I, and, I'm not, I wasn't, and I wasn't disagreeing with you either way. I just, I don't, I just find what they put in front of me. I mean, I fight Bart, Bart today. I mean, so I'll fight anybody. Like I said, I'm, I, I'm still, like, I'm 49 now. I'm still, I'm in great shape still. I'm probably in better than I was a couple of years back, surprisingly. But I just like competition, and it doesn't matter who they, who they are, especially if, I'm, if I, have a, you know, I know I had a good chance of winning. Now, after I fought, you know, after I fought because I had to go right against Coleman. You know, here he was, this guy, killing kill everybody, you know. Oh, yeah. And that was a big, big deal for everybody. Ooh, what's he going to go against Coleman? Blah, 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 blah. But you see my interview, I wasn't worried. <laughs> but what's the worst thing happening? He just beat me, right? It's the worst thing happening? He just beats me. So what? Because <laughs> I, re- I remember uh, back then, to somebody told me, they looked me in the eye and, and they said before your fight with, it was like uh, months before your fight with uh, Mark Coleman, and they said, Maurice Smith doesn't have a chance. Mark Coleman is untouchable. And I said, yeah, they said the same thing about Conan Silvera, is what, it, is what I told him. That's my exact words. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, this, listen, at the time as well, the game is pretty much a grappling game. And if you don't go to the sport, I mean, they had asked me to fight in the UFC a few fights earlier, maybe four or five fights earlier, and I didn't, I said, I'm not going to this game so you guys, you know, use my record and my name so I can kick my ass, I wasn't going to this game prepared, so I went, well, by the time I fought Coleman, again, I trained about a month for him as well, um, just, um, to, you know, playing for me, the open guard, what I call back then TK guard, because I don't like, I don't like the close guard for fighting, so, and, and again, it was a new look for Mark, and he didn't, he didn't want to pass it too much. I mean, he had me once where he almost submitted me. Don't get me wrong. He had me in that neck crank. And if I didn't meet him in the head, he would, he would, he would have submitted me then. <laughs> now, um, I, I have a very good memory. And I have to ask you if this was a bluff on your part or something. You were being interviewed at UFC 13 prior to, you know, to be the next event where you fought Mark Coleman. And you said, you're not going to be in the guard. But obviously Correct. you did. Have, so was that a bluff? No, 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 not the guard, not a closed guard. That's what I meant to say. That's what I'm referring to. Because everybody thinks of the guard as a closed guard. So uh-huh. I was never in a closed guard. I was always in an open guard, TK guard, butterfly guard, whatever you want to call it. I never did a closed guard against him. And I'm a closed guard against anybody. I don't, I don't think for a closed guard, and this isn't me, 
I don't. If you're if you're a striker, the only way you get to your feet is open your guard and get to your feet. So if you have your legs right on his on his waist, how are you going to get to get to your feet? So to me, I never focus on a closed guard ever. So that's what I mean by the guard. I would never do a closed guard. And if you watch the video, I never did a closed guard. Yeah, you always use the open guard. I, that I do remember. Of course, there are very few times, of course, against Randy Couture, against Kevin Rand. Yeah, I tried it against him. I tried it against Randy Couture. It didn't matter. And I said, I said again, I'd never do it again. I would never do a closed guard. You know, Randy's yeah. fight was not myself and I. It was, a, you know, it, was a, it was a long fight, arduous fight, and he just controlled me. He didn't beat me up and all that. And I didn't beat him up, obviously. But he, he, if you're going to get the fight that he, that the fight, he was on top controlling me, he won the fight definitely. You know, there's no question. But I, I think I tried it once to close guard there, then, and I said, you know what, I'll never do it again. Now, um, you also fought uh, right after Mark Coleman. i got to say, you fought one of my uh, very favorite fighters in the sport of MMA. Yes. Uh, the only reason why I say that is because he he was the one, uh, Horry and Gracie wanted to show the emphasis of a street fight in, in the beginning, but Tank Abbott was the, was the first one to really do that, and that's that's why I like him, you know. Right, um, right. Um, but uh, when you fought Tank, I mean, I knew right away that part of your strategy would be to wear him tired because his endurance has always been questionable. And uh, it surprised me to see you going for a submission. Uh, when you when you went for that key lock on him, were you were you actually looking for a tap or just a, a way to make him move and to make make him oh, work? I was trying to tap him. I was trying to tap him, but it was just in that right position. I mean, the, 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 the recipe for a good submission is position control for position for submission. I didn't have the right position for the submission. I had, I had to I had the submission so it wasn't the right position. So and I was trying to submit him that way. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm not a grappler, but I can play. The game a little bit, and I tried to go for it, and he, you know, I didn't have the right position, and he got out. And uh, obviously, trying to make him tired obviously worked. I mean, you look towards when Big John stood you guys up; he could he could barely move. He was so tired, and then uh, it wasn't matter. Listen, here's the thing: the only thing different between the fight that he had that fight, if he came, if he had you know weeks notice, he just would have would have would have would have a little bit longer. I mean, like I said, I'm not I'm always going to come to a fight. I, I always had to come to a fight prepared, and the only fight I didn't come into prepared for conditioning would be my last fight against uh, Yoshida. I was just overweight then, and then I, I got sick during Radomir's fight. Now, I've always said this. I'm not saying I got sick that I would have beat him, but it would have been a better fight. So I'm not saying he would have won or not low one, but I got sick in the airplane, you know, but he beat me. And I said nothing anything from him, but I'm just saying I, couldn't give, I probably could have got a little bit better fight if I had not caught a cold on the way down there. But the only, the only fight that came in out of shape really was against uh, Yoshida. I mean, I was top boy then. Now, uh, one other, when you fought in Pride one time, you fought against uh, I, Bronco. I yeah, Bronco Sikatich. Uh, that's how you pronounce it. Um, yeah. It seemed that was the first time I think uh, you were actual. You actually wanted preferred to go to the ground with somebody. Am I correct in assuming that? Well, yeah, it's like when I fight, you know, just listen. <laughs> okay, I'm a striker, but why don't, yeah. I play, why don't I play the same game with a guy who's as good as I am and what I do? So why don't I go to where he's weak at? So me going yeah, against absolutely. Bronco, me going against Rick Rufus, why don't I play a game that we're all good at? Go where the weakest is at. So, yeah, of course, <laughs> you much far. Yeah. <laughs> no, wow, well, that'd be stupid of me. I mean, That's not good preparation. Absolutely. I mean, and, and important to note, too, as it 
has been said, has going to be said by me, has been said by a lot of people. I mean, you're one of the smartest tacticians to ever grace the sport of MMA. I mean, you you go in there with a game plan, and uh, not everybody can follow their game plan to a T like you're able to to do every time, you know? I mean, well, I mean, listen, I, I try. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, if I can say, if the, the best game plan is in my seat. Well, I, don't always, I don't always achieve that, but but I can play the game in the bottom to some degree. I've only been submitted once, and surprisingly, against Conan. We, we got a second fight somewhere sometime later after we fought 2000, uh, I think somewhere in 2000 something. We, he, he submitted me with a, with a uh, crossbody, net, crossbody arm choke, and I'm like, and I just, and I forgot, I had forgot how to defend it. But no, you know it's uh, every listen. Well, all the fighters, are, you know, the top fighters are good. Whether it be me, Randy, uh, Silva, Saint Pierre. I mean, they're all again. They're gonna win. They're gonna lose. That's that's the game. There's no guarantee no matter how smart you are or how you know how great you are. You're gonna get you're gonna get caught one day. And I mean, even with all my even with all my preparation, mentally, physically, emotionally, and yada yada yada, I. Uh, still can get knocked out or take me to the ground or whatever. I just don't worry about it. You know, if you're watching my fights, I'm very calm, and I will say that because what is, what's going to happen is going to happen, whether I freak out or not. Now, um, when you return to the UFC against uh, Kevin Randleman, I, I do have to ask you, I mean, he seemed to be the only person in MMA that uh, seemed to to hurt you in any way or so. Um, I mean, well, he gave me a black eye, yeah. He gave me a black eye. Like I said, when I fought Kevin, I don't, I wasn't fully healthy. By the time I got, I mean, I think I caught a bug in the airplane then. But again, that's not taking anything from Kevin. I'm just saying that could put a better fight. But Kevin yeah. just basically handled me very well. He wrestled me and got me to the ground. And, and that was basically it. I mean, he got me with a couple, he hit me in the right eye, he hit me in the eye at some point, he gave me a black eye. But yeah, he's the only person who really bruised me in the game, yeah. Now uh, here's a silly question: How strong did he feel? Did he did he feel as strong as he looks, or even stronger? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny that people ask that kind of question. I think like Mark Coleman and everybody's strong at that level. I mean, but strength by lifting weights and strength by a person, it's not different. So everybody's strong at that point. So I, I don't, I wouldn't say he was feeling stronger or any less stronger than than uh, Coleman or Tank. He just felt strong and he had good control and he. He, he, he played a nice, I called it a passive-aggressive game. He, you know, he, he, and my grappling game wasn't as good as it is now. But, yeah, he's strong. Everybody's strong. I'm strong, too. You know, we're all strong Absolutely. in every division, I guess. And I guess even if you're a little guy, the guys in your division are strong. So I think it's not, the strength aspect is not the key. I don't think, because you can't measure the strength by somebody trying to, you know, they're going to hold you. Just like a guy fighting uh, Mario Pudinowski. I mean, he's a strong guy, but that I mean he can fight. You know, strength is irrelevant unless he can feel how to capitalize his strength. And Absolutely. nobody has capitalized on my strength, on the strength that I've, that I've been pinned down. I couldn't, you know, move, maneuver one way or the other. Now, um, Jim, I want to ask you a little bit uh, before I go into a few other things. Uh, okay. About your two fights with um, Marco Huas. Um, yes. Like the, the first, the first fight, obviously. Um, I I don't know what happened to Marco. He torqued his knee or something. But um, I got to. You, what did you expect uh, going into that fight? Did you expect to, him to stand up with you and and strike with you, or was it no surprise that he took you to the ground? What, what, what well, I, before I met Marcos back in Colorado, I think, for the first time, and he's a very nice guy, and we, who knew we were going to fight one day? He, when he fought me, when we fought, I didn't expect him, I'm the better striker, so 
I would think he'd be smart to stay to the ground. I mean, listen, to this very day, there's not a better striker in this game than I am. Even to this very day. You know, there's guys who can grapple, but I'm going to say this to anybody out there, complete striker. But again, it's not about striking. That's MMA versus, you know what I'm saying, complete striking. And right now, there's nobody, even to this very day, that feels better than me. But Marcos is not my level of striker. I mean, you know, he, he's a striker if you don't know how to fight, but strike, but I do. So it, it was obvious that he would be smart to take him to the ground, which he did do. And fortunately, I was prepared for a ground game. So I wasn't worried. So we went for our scrambles and stuff. It was great. It was cool. Absolutely. And the way he, when he attempted a leg lock on you, you just stayed calm and got right out of it. You knew what you were doing. Yeah. Um, so I was prepared for that. And then when we fought later, uh, well, that, I mean, he looked, his physique looked better than better. He looked better than mine. But again, you know, he did the same thing. He got me in the bottom, on the, on the, on the ground and had to wait, you know, uh, Submit me and blah blah blah, but I guess my striking, my submission, submitting my ground game improved a little bit. So it wasn't even though I couldn't get up, I wasn't in any danger. But on the feet, I'm more dangerous still. Absolutely. Um, now, unfortunately, I did not get to see that fight. Uh, I know it was a TKO, but uh, go ahead and explain to our listeners, explain to me since I I didn't see it how that fight actually ended. Okay, so we fought in the uh, IFL throughout the yeah. years. I think it's 2006, 2007, I don't know. And we fought in, I think it was Chicago, I believe. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Anyhow, we, we, um, the first round, he pretty much just got me to the ground and controlled me. So he won the first round. But to the to the him. Second round, the same thing. He, when he got me to the ground, he controlled me. But the third round, I just went in there and he couldn't get me to the ground anymore. He was tired and just beat him up. And they had to start the fight. I mean, not kill him that hurt him, beat him up, but I was obviously showed them I'm in more control than he was, and I was in better shape. So, I mean, I don't think it's on the internet anywhere, but it's a, it's not a, it's not a beautiful fight as far as the way he, kind of how he went out, because he, he just was so tired. He wouldn't quit. He's a warrior, and he wouldn't quit. And unfortunately, you know, that's not good for you if you're out of shape and another person in shape. And I'm not going to try to kill him because, you know, it's not necessary. Don't look at, if I can wear him out through him quitting, then fine. He wasn't going to quit, so they put a towel on him. They put a towel on him, and the referee stopped it. Okay. And uh, now the other things I want to get into a little bit, uh, you know, you you had your team, and I forgot the name of your team with the IFL. Uh, Tiger Sharks. Tiger Sharks. The, the Tiger Sharks. Now, when the I, IFL ended up going under, was that a big disappointment to you? Oh, yeah. It was a great company. Listen, if it had the best thing one could ask for. I mean, the downside was that the fighters got kind of spoiled for him right away. But the, the way the company was looking out for the fighters was great. Now, who's to know? Who's to say that they would have came in a little differently and got better, some more money behind them? I don't know. But it was a great concept. There's a team atmosphere. You had a coach. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some down. There's some downsides and people being spoiled and fighters, you know, expected so much. But. It was a great opportunity for everybody involved, and I, I have no regrets to that other than the fact that it didn't succeed. Um, again, some fighters got spoiled, and, but the coaches were great. You know, you did look at the, gen- the legend of the fighters. It was great. You know, with the other buddies coming up, coming there with you, fighting, and fighting as well. You know, myself, fighting Marcos, and uh, Pat Militich, and Carlos Newton, and Angel Gracie fighting. I mean, those, those, were, those were great. You know, how many coaches can compete in their sport? It was a great thing. I mean, I wish it would come, something would come like that again. It just takes, you know, it just takes a lot of money and a lot of time. And, 
Maybe somebody made something like that again, but it was great. I, I was disappointed. I mean, I was hurt. That night, I wasn't devastated, of course. But I was hurt because it, was, it offered a great opportunity for guys, you know, because not just because you're in the UFC doesn't mean you're the best fighter. I mean, you could, if, you could, if you compare the UFC heavyweights versus strike for heavyweights, strike forces heavyweights, who has the, most, who has the better heavyweights? Pretty much, I have uh, strike force, right? So it doesn't mean because you're in one company, you're the, you're, the, you're, the best, you're the best person. You're the best until you fight the best, and the best sometimes in different companies. Now, if strike if you've seen the taking over strike force one hundred percent, then they will have some of the best fighters by far. They'll have all the heavyweights. If they if they absorb strike forces to UFC, which I'm feeling they might do, I don't think I think what's going to happen. I feel is that strike force will will no longer exist after two years. Yeah, I, I think I'm really hoping huh? that that I really hope that doesn't happen for the sake Me of women's MMA. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not even talking about just for that. I mean, it's, it's better. I think it looks better to have one side versus the other side. I mean, yeah. it's the same fight. No matter. No, it's the same fight. No matter what. Whether you're whether you're Strike Force or UFC, you know, whether you're King Velasquez versus Josh Barnett, you should the same fighter. But it just sounds better if you have two titles compared to one title. It's like having the WBC and the IBF, you know, and the WBA, and you know, all that stuff. You know, it's better to have both titles than just to have one title if you could. But ultimately, it's the same fight. Okay, and um, my next question I was going to have for you is uh, how you thought I was uh, kind of playing the age card, especially when I mentioned the uh, Ali fight. But uh, uh, are you? Do you consider yourself retired, or do you have uh, some left in you? I mean, Dan Severn's in his fifties and he's still competing. So, it, well, uh, I think for sure. I mean, listen, uh, how are you? What are what next are you? I'm uh, I'm oh, and uh, and. Okay. I, I still want. I almost want. I still want to bet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um. No, I'm not. I'm 49. But you, to look at me, you would not look as if I'm looking 49. Yes, I still want to fight, but it's not to me. It's up to the promoters. So I'm trying to get a fight, hopefully this year or two, or fight or two this year. And um, if that's the case, then I will fight at least. I want to fight probably two more years or six or seven more fights. That's what I want to do. All right. Uh, I mean, listen, I don't have to fight the top guys. The top guys, I feel the top five. So from six below, I can fight those guys easily. Top five, they, if I don't like them out, they're going to submit me. <laughs> Bottom line, I know they're going to like beating me up as far as striking is concerned, but definitely submit me. Be it Kane will grind me out probably, Josh will submit me potentially, Verdun will probably submit me potentially, but striking, I don't think, I don't, I don't even really, really worry about outs over and the truth is, he's striking more or less, and so am I, so that's fine with me. Uh, but some of the other guys, no. No, I don't. I'm not, again, I'm not saying to fight the top guys. I'm just saying that there's guys that can fight. And I think I can fight over the overing because he's a striker. I'm not worried about the strikers. I'm more worried about the concern with the, the submitting guys who will just sit on you and grind you out. Okay. Um, now, you you usually fought at about uh, 220 pounds, which uh, compared to today's heavyweights, it is pretty much considered a small heavyweight. Do you think uh, even in, say, to your uh, late 20s to mid-30s, the way the UFC and the, the rest of MMA is today, do you think uh, you would have or could have competed at 205, say? Oh, no, I wouldn't want to fight 205. I, I think, listen, the thing is, the problem I hear with everybody with the weight class is everybody else from heavyweight down has to give up only 15 pounds max and, and two, two to five pounds minimum. We give up 40, 50 pounds, which is crap. So what do you weigh to 25 or you weigh 210 or, or 215 or whatever, there should be a cutoff weight somewhere in there. But, again, if a guy's 240 on 225, I got no problem fighting that. That's only 20 pounds different. But there gets to be like 40, you know, 30, 40 pounds. That's a lot of weight. You know, I don't care. It's, just, it's not fair to our division. 
And I mean, actual weight, the guy weighs actually 260. That guy weighs 280 or 275, whatever, and comes down to 260. And then weighs 280 again by the time the fight starts. So I don't, I have a problem with the weight class in that respect, but I don't think, I don't have a problem fighting a guy 240. But 250, 260, 270, no, that's not, that's not fair to us. But everybody else can fight guys who are 15 pounds heavier or, the most, you know, little guys get five pounds, and the medium guys get ten pounds. And the middle, the middle medium guy guys get fifteen pounds, but the heavyweights they get weight fifty pounds, forty pounds. That's that's wrong. That's wrong. Okay. Now, uh, well, I mean, again, I would fight a guy two forty and a problem. Okay. Yeah. Now this this day, I know that uh, you're working uh, with uh, a few veterans. You're wor- and of course some up and coming prospects. Uh, you know, to tell tell our listeners about uh, who we should watch out for that uh, that's working with you. Hmm. Let me think. Who I watch? Well, I don't want to say anything because some guys don't perform so well sometimes. All I can say is I'm training guys. I'm helping guys out. I'm not really training anybody as far as um, any particular person, but I'm helping people out who can improve the striking aspect. Uh, there, there, there's the new people. In fact, there's probably only one guy. I think I'm only really training two or three people, really. And those guys are all, some of them are fighters, and some of them are maybe become, maybe become fighters. But I trained with Ivan Salisbury, but his last fight wasn't a good fight, so I can't really say that. I, and I didn't help him that much because he was mostly focused on wrestling. So, yeah. um, but the striking part, he, he had a surgery, and his hip is very tight, so striking really is very difficult for him. You know, he can't move. You know, really still. But, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. The thing is, I'm just helping people who want my help. I mean, Josh came by, gave him, you know, we, he, but he didn't work on kickboxing this time. He worked on his grappling. Uh, Munson was going to come by, but he didn't show up. Uh, so, actually, actually, Bruce, uh, what's his name? Uh, actually, Mario Miranda, actually, he's kind of working on him a little bit. He comes in twice a, twice a week, but I'm helping him a little bit. So I guess you could say he's an up-and-coming kid. So, but I'm not really, again, I'm not really training him as a trainer. I'm just helping people. Now, yeah, I have not interviewed. I've interviewed quite a few fighters on my show, but uh, you're only the second one I've interviewed uh, in the uh, Washington State area. And uh, the other the other guy I interviewed, and I just got to ask you if you worked with him before, is John Mariansky. Or if that mm. name sounds familiar to you. No, I don't know the name off that. Uh, now he, what area of Washington? Uh, he uh, honestly, I can't. I can't remember. I know he works out with Andy Reese. So. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, he's a little fellow then, right? Yeah, I know he is. I he used to train. I trained when we started the IFL. He was probably around. I know what you're talking about now. And he might have been around to train uh-huh. with him, but he wasn't. He wasn't mine to train. Oh, okay. But, I mean, Washington's created a lot of fighters. You got me, you have Josh, you have, you have uh, Dennis Holman, you got, um, uh, I just mentioned earlier, Snowman, Jeff Munson. I mean, we've created a lot of fighters in this area. Ivan Salivary, you know. Yeah, we've, we've done well up here in Washington. We have, you know, we're, we have rain, creates a lot of anger. Well, it's, uh, it's about time to go ahead and wrap it up, Maurice. Um, okay. Oh, it's it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and uh, best of luck to you here in the near future. Okay, well, you keep in touch, and you got to get a hold of me. Absolutely. And there you have the interview with former UFC heavyweight champion Maurice Smith. It recorded back in September of 2011. All right, it's time to go to our next music set. 
Coming up, we have a brand new one from Sepsis. Be followed by Dean Chansey, Black Knight Satellite, Boba Flex, and Erica Dawn. Be right back after this. How dare you and who in the hell fuck do you think you are? You're listening to Outlaw Radio, where we're proper gentlemen, because we always ask... Do you mind if I fart? You really know how to waste a Cialis, don't you? You're abusing my fan. calling from your CVS Pharmacy. I'd just like to let you know that your anal wart removal cream, your butt plugs, and your Viagra are now in. And we also got those extra small condoms that you needed. So please go ahead and let me know when you'll be coming in so I can set those aside for you. Thank you and have a great day. Well, I turned on the TV late last night. I was surprised to see it wasn't black and white. They were talking about privilege and apartheid. And all they could do was whine, whine, whine. 
in the scenes born again martyr bearing scars overrated i'm here to crush your bubble off your hopes and your dreams resonate with the muse change names and the faces shallow responses the track on repeat related topic interrogation instigated all the cards on the table now follow the screen i resonate with the mistakes i tear the flesh to keep the pace i feel alive when i'm a fire mirror smoke to fool the liars emanate with stimulated deviate when i'm frustrated implement what's suffocated i am so and i am hated It's all about the void, set it all, shift them gears Salivating over changes, multiply by own design Cast away your mirror rages, taking off a better lie Soothing cuts and better bruises, fool the one to play the mask Craving it when I remember when the rules apply Clash!
In South Africa, genocide of white people, black-on-white violence, is rampant and ongoing. The South African mainstream media has kept this genocide hush-hush, and South Africa's politicians have been silent about it. It's time for the silence to end. Enter USAC, the United South Africa Coalition. USAC Incorporated comprises groups and individuals around the world working together to create public global awareness of the genocide in South Africa and to develop community restoration programs that will make South Africa a safe place for all races to thrive. To join USAC and for more information about USAC and what you can do, visit USAC.center. That's U-S-A-C dot center. USAC, working to bring back a safe, truly unified South Africa. At some point, you're going to want to consider this. If a national emergency or a natural disaster or even civil unrest should occur, where would you go? Seriously, where? Heading into the sticks with some MREs in a tent might be all right for a week or two, but then what? And who's around you? Who can help you if you need it? And how long would you last without the security and comfort of your own home? If you've asked yourself these questions, consider X-Point. Located in the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota, a limited number of military-grade hardened shelters originally built by the U.S. government. 80 feet long, 26 feet wide, 12 and a half foot ceilings that you can custom build out to your own tastes. X-Point, a nine square mile city of like-minded people who know that the best way to deal with the disaster is to distance yourself from it. If you've always wanted a real bug out bunker with the amenities of home, send an email to brendy at arcmidnight.com or text to 817-900-2424. X-Point, X marks your spot. Chaz Mitchell Custom Hats makes and sells custom hats with a Western influence. These hats are not cheesy, one-size-fits-all, except they're not cowboy hat knockoffs. Chaz Mitchell will custom design and build a genuine hat just for you, the way you want it. Chaz will actually measure your head, talk with you about the hat you desire, make it, and deliver it to you. You'll make a statement every time you put on your hat. Originally from Jigs, Nevada, Chaz Mitchell grew up cowboy and alongside his father, Waddy Mitchell. They built their first hats together at a workshop in Elko, Nevada. Chaz recalls his father once telling him, make a hat he would be proud to wear. After years of practice and studying hats and their owners, Chaz knows what makes a good hat maker. It's understanding that a hat doesn't only fit the circumference of the head, but also the personality of the owner. Get in touch with Chaz today, and he'll build you a hat you will be proud to wear. Visit Chaz Hats, that's C-H-A-Z-H-A-T-Z dot com. 
left-wing community organizers and campus radicals in Idaho are still up to their dirty tricks, teaching Idaho kids from cradle to college that white people are inherently racist. Now, these left-wing nuts are taking the whole race thing to a whole new level with critical race theory. According to critical race theory, teaching children math, arithmetic, is racist. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, racist. Can you say ridiculous? Malcolm X warned against critical race theory. It's very harmful. It's wrong. And the leftist nuts teaching this stuff to our children know it. Join Idaho Freedom Action to put an end to this leftist takeover of education in Idaho. Join the fight against the teaching of critical race theory to Idaho's youngsters. Visit IdahoFreedomAction.org today. IdahoFreedomAction.org building in a little hick town. This is Outlaw Radio. I'm not in a mood to deal with you today, you stupid asshole! All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outlaw Radio, brought to you by Cold Cock Whiskey. Raise your glass, take a shot. You must be 21 years of age or older to drink. Hunter Athletic, gear up, let's train. USAC, the United South Africa Coalition, and Neutronics IGF-1 Making Men, Men Again. The songs you just heard, you just heard Erica Dawn with The Way You Love Your Truck. Before that, Boba Flex with Bad Man. Before that, Black Knight Satellite with Down for the Kill. Before that, Dean Chansey with Don't Keep Messing with a Boar. And starting off the whole set was a brand new one from Sepsis, You Already Know. All right, so... You know that time, I am currently joined by the Icon, and it is time for the Steve Solution. The best advice I can give you, if you've got a good job, stay in it. If you are, in fact, in a position where you have a decent job, don't fuck that up. And if you are not in a great job, keep looking, and when one comes available that you are qualified for, or even close to qualified for, go apply, interview, do whatever you can to get into a better position. This is the Steve Solution with Stephen James on Outlaw Radio. What's going on, boys and girls? Wow, do we have an interesting subject this week? And I know it's one that isn't exactly, you know, brand new breaking news, but both of the subjects we're talking about today have been brewing for a long time. And there's a lot of strong opinions, especially on the liberal bookends of our country, that being Nevada or not Nevada, sorry, uh, California, Nevada's where I'm from, and New York, which is a state I will never visit. <laughs> I've been to well, both of them. We're gonna, <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I grew up in California, Nevada, uh, and other than family obligations, I do not ever go back to that state. And there's, unless I somehow win the New York lottery, and I don't see that happening, uh, I will never go to New York. I'll just, just let me briefly tell you how it is. I mean, upstate New York is, you know, just like any other place. But New York City, fucking Manhattan to 
to the Bronx, uh, Queens. It's it was just so like very surreal for me to be there because it it felt like being in a movie because all the sounds and everything that I heard were were only things that I heard in movies. You know, like uh, like where I'm at. If I'm going to call a taxi. I get on the phone and call a taxi in New York. They really do whistle down in the middle of the street. Hey, taxi, you know, like you see in the movies. And, oh, sure. And um, not only that, too, but my phobia of heights, um, I've, got vertigo, I've got vertigo like a motherfucker. Not the best day for you to visit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got vertigo like a motherfucker, and it just made me, it made my stomach turn just to stand on the ground and look up one of those skyscrapers. So I'm thinking, while I was there, I'm thinking, I'm going to try to conquer my fear of heights. And I'm going to uh, nope. I'm going to go to the top of the Empire State Building because I didn't really know at the time that the World Trade Center was was it. So, you know, but nonetheless, World Trade, uh, the Empire State Building now. It's iconic. I get it. Yeah. Go in there and, uh, you know, elevator after elevator. And I get off right around the 85th to 90th floor. I see clouds out the window and my stomach starts turning. My head starts spinning. And I'm like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. No, there's. And, you know, and I forget the comedian's name. And I really wish I remembered it because I'd like to give him credit. But for me, the epitome of New York is summed up in one line from a comedian. In New York City, it is the only place in America where you have to say, hey, that's mine. Don't piss on that. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, um, where you're at, where I'm, where I'm at, even in California, I think you see somebody standing again at and looking at a brick wall and telling it how it's going to burn a, in hell and calling it a motherfucker, you're gonna, you're, they're gonna get hauled off to some loony bin in New York. Uh, not so much in California, but here, you know, outside of Memphis, yeah, definitely, sir. Sure. You know, and of course, I mean, this was in 1992, and I, I saw the, some dude doing that, and I'm like, what the fuck? And like, nobody's paying him any mind; they're just ignoring him, you know, and. The place is fucking weird. Now, the best experience I had in New York City was going to Madison Square Garden to watch the Knicks play the Pacers and getting to shake hands with Patrick Ewing. I imagine an awesome experience for anyone that ever wants to visit New York or likes basketball, I suppose. (laughs) I'm not a basketball fan. Now that that was a bit surreal too, considering the, the, n- number one he's a celebrity. Number two, he's seven feet tall. With when I shook his hand, his hand covered mine. Well, there's a reason he can easily palm a basketball. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, the the city itself, you know, great architecture with the high rises and everything. But yeah, I mean, maybe if Times Square was the way it was back in the seventies. You know, maybe I might want to, you know, check it out and take a visit because that's when New York was fun. Or even depression. Dangerous, but fun. Even the Depressionary era in the 1930s, New York was supposed to be fun. Yeah. But yeah, like during Prohibition, I, you know, if I could go back in time and, you know, go hang out at like a speakeasy. 
Say, bartender, you got any of the bat, that bathtub gin here? <laughs> Give me three fingers of that. <laughs> sure, I can get down with that. But now, modern-day New York holds no appeal to me whatsoever. Having grown up in California, it definitely holds no appeal. I go back once a year for family obligations. And even then, I'm close enough to where I need to be that I stay in Las Vegas and I drive. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, Governor Andrew the Homo Cuomo, you know, the, the son of Mario Cuomo, the brother of Fredo, excuse me, I mean Chris Cuomo. That's Chris, yes. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's turning in his My, resignations. I know things. You're my kid brother, and you take care of me. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, number one, the, the guy should already be in prison as far as I'm concerned for the slaughter of a bunch of elderly people. But uh, that's not why he's being, he, he's been, uh, had the heat down on him. No, because he's a fucking horn dog and can't con control his libido and keep the shit in his pants and, you know, be a responsible adult like everybody else. You know, it's kind of funny, Stephen, because I spoke to someone in New York about a week ago and he was actually going to join Outlaw Radio. And this, this is what this guy does. Let me just get this out of the way. I heard him on the Charles Richardson show and he was speaking a lot of sense. I, I asked Charles, who is this guy? I'd like to talk to him. And I find out. And, um, I, I message him on Facebook. We talk. We have a good conversation. Then, as and, and then you say, "Hey, how would you like to take over the Steam Solution time slot?" No, no I was actually going to have him on in the second hour, but uh, hey, so so yeah, we talk. Then I'm spending time with family, and he's starting to ask me questions, you know, about about his website and all that. And I'm like, "Let me get back to you tomorrow." I'm I'm with family right now, and he got all butt hurt. And said, said, why can't you answer a simple question, blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm with family right now, dude. And then, of course, uh, he took he took offense, you know, because I don't have any time slots for him also on the AOW radio network. And he blocked me. That, oh, well, fuck him. Yep. So he can go to hell. I mean, I mean, for Christ's sakes, you're obviously very accommodating. And for those of you guys listening that don't realize, you know, what Billy does for Outlaw Radio. Where I am, it is currently 3.10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. It's now Saturday uh, morning. Oh, Saturday. Uh, sorry, I recently changed days off at work and it's fucked me. Sorry. 3.10 a.m. on a Saturday morning, 2.10 where Billy is at. And this is the window that I have to record and he is accommodating. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, that's what I, I, I try not to be prejudiced, but come on, New Yorkers fucking drive me up the fucking wall and they're pushy as the pushiest motherfuckers I've ever been around. Yeah. Uh, no, my brother lived in New York for, uh, I think that, that year and a half, two years, somewhere around there. And, you know, sad to say my you know, brother's a liberal fuck, but when he got back from New York, well, let me say my brother has what they call an adoptive personality. So he spends a little over, well, close to two years in New York, and he comes back and he's speaking 
like he was born and raised in Brooklyn. Now, keep in mind, he wasn't in any of the five boroughs. He was north of the city by about 50 miles. Oh, shit. But Oh, we gave him so much shit, it was great. But, but let's get back to yeah, the great yeah. governor of the state of yeah. New York, yeah, this Andrew Cuomo. But, Jesus Christ. So, so this is what I'm trying to get at, though. That dude that blocked me on Facebook, he actually said, and I do find this interesting because I think he does have a point, and it's worth discussing, too. He thinks Cuomo may be getting a raw, a raw deal on this one. He hates Cuomo with a passion. He's a big-time Trump supporter. But uh, he hates Cuomo for, for the uh, nursing home incident, but says that, uh, you know, and, he, and it's true, you can brush by a lady only touching her arm, and she can turn around scream rape saying, you touched her tits, and you can go, oh, yeah. you know, so he's got a good point there, uh, but what do you think? Well, first off, I don't give a shit what side of the aisle you're on. I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this broadcast, you know what side of the aisle I fall on. But what I fall on, more importantly, is true. And if you're being honest and if you are telling the truth, then I don't give a shit what side of the aisle. I, I will condemn a Republican just as quick as I will condemn a Democrat. As I as will I. Yes. So, no, when it comes to a liar, a liar is a liar is a liar. It just so happens that turns out, you know, Democrats lie a lot more. And don't get me wrong, both parties are kind of fucked, but that's a whole other issue and a whole other show. But no, I'm sorry, you... I was just stuck in a fucking stadium in Nashville, Tennessee in a concourse made for maybe 10,000 people with 77,000 people. Do your research. You'll figure out what I'm talking about. You cannot, sometimes you can't help but brush up against somebody. Does not mean you're copping a feel. And quite frankly, if you're the governor of New York, odds are you're probably not copping a feel. Oh, so no. I'll, I'll, I'll give him a pass on that one. However, there's just so much other shit that, I mean, we couldn't even begin to list it. The guy's a straight-up fucking jag-off perv. And, and, you know, for the most part, I, I'm glad he's, he's resigning because I think he's a complete, total piece of shit. But I want to see him prosecuted for what he did. I mean, the guy needs him and the governor of, of fucking New Jersey both murdered so many elderly people. Well, the upside is resigning does not absolve him of anything. He is, at least hopefully anyway, still going to be prosecuted. But he's taking the long road resigning I mean you know yeah Nixon fucked up but when he resigned he's like hey effective tomorrow at noon or whatever it was it was a very very short period he's like I'm done this dude's like hey in a few weeks you know, a couple of months you know maybe you know a year down the road I'm gonna resign at some point the fuck just step down you have a lieutenant governor quit 
That's, it can be done in 24 fucking hours. He's still governor. Actually, it's it's the lieutenant governor that uh, wants this uh, process. So, so whoever this woman is, I can't remember her name. She just kind of kind of wants to get warmed up more into it. Doesn't doesn't want to hit it face first, you know. And um, then also, th- somebody else brought something to my attention that this do- this does. Should concern anybody, but I think it's nothing more than a, a basic uh, conspiracy theory. But, uh, you know, I mean, do people really expect old uh, Jomo, the Chomo, not the homo, the Chomo, if you ever seen him sniff these kids, you'll understand why I say that. Um, but, uh, you know, he, I don't think he's going to last for the, for the rest of his term. Because because the guy is not all together. He's got fucking dementia, and everybody knows it. So they put they put Kamala Harris in there as president. Put Nancy Nasty Pelosi as vice president, and oh, Mr. Cuomo. It appears we have an intra, We have an opening for for Secretary of State. Yeah, I, do, I don't see that happening. But uh, the, the I, public blowback would be too much. But that being said, sure, he's going to resign the governorship. Mark my words. Now, he's got enough money banked up, and he'll do speaking engagements in the meantime after he resigns. Assuming, you know, he doesn't wind up in prison where he belongs. But assuming he, he avoids all that, He'll end up on CNN with his fucking brother as a fucking anchor and a quote-unquote expert in, I would say, probably seven years or less uh, after this is done. I got to correct myself. I said uh, I said Secretary of State. I, I meant Speaker of the House. Is Who that the for- hell cares? Yeah. He's not going to hold a fucking public office ever again. Uh, no, but... Uh- he can definitely uh, hold us, hold a, a cell right next to Bubba. I, I can only hope. I mean, you know, to be fair, if he, you know, ends up actually doing prison time, depending on what he knows, he might just take the Jeff Epstein way out and, uh, you know, kill himself by way of having somebody else, you know, Either. pay for guards to turn cameras off and kill him. Either that or he's, they're going to take him out to the license plate factory and make it look like an accident. And there's, I mean, hopefully they get smarter than they did with Jeffrey Epstein. You know? and um, Yeah, and, I'm Mr. Untouchable, and yet suddenly I kill myself. Yeah, sure. And uh, you think politicians aren't going to jail? Just look at South Africa and former President Zuma. He's sitting in jail. Yep. Well, you want to talk about, you know, politicians in South Africa. How long did Nelson Mandela sit in jail? <laughs> yeah, but but that was after he, uh, or he, he became, he got into politics afterwards. Otherwise, I'm talking about this man, Jacob Zuma, who was forced to resign the presidency three years ago, was recently arrested. And uh, to note, yeah, he did do time with Nelson Mandela. But anyway... Back to the states. So, you know, the funny thing is, when he did go to prison, though, 
I mean, he did a really awesome thing. He, you know, found the biggest, most badass guy in the prison yard, and he shanked him. And then you know what he said? Hmm. I'm the captain now. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he was Nelson Mandela was a piece of shit. <laughs> but um, so not as big a piece of shit as the guy at his funeral that was pretending to do sign language. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like I still watch that YouTube video. It's great. So we got Cuomo resigning. So that's almost we almost got one down as soon as he resigns, and then we're looking at gruesome Gavin Ooh. Newsom, close to being recalled. Yeah. Well, firstly, first off, I you know he loves to talk to the press. So, I mean, you could use the word gruesome, but I, I like to call him Governor Newsroom <laughs> because, man, does he love to fucking talk. And, I mean, that's fine. Politicians talk. I'm between him, Nasty Pelosi, Craxine Waterhead, uh, Eric Swalhole, and anybody else I'm forgetting. I don't know. Let's look at the bang-up job they've done to the once-beautiful state of California. You know, I'm telling you, when, you know, like I said, I grew up uh, splitting my time in California and Las Vegas. And, man, growing up, I couldn't think of a better place to live than California or Las Vegas. And I'm still partial to Las Vegas. But... It was such a great place to live, beautiful weather. I mean, that's, you know, you why know, Hollywood became Hollywood. It was such just the state itself, just the geographical location made that shit magic. Perfect weather almost all year round. You know what uh, John B. Wells says about California? Most beautiful place on, in, in no most beautiful state on all 50 states. You got... You got your mountains, you got your beaches, you got your deserts, you got your forests. Take your pick. It's not wrong. It's actually very similar to uh, what Danny DeVito's character said in L.A. Confidential about California and the California dream. And I won't go into that now, but look it up on YouTube or wherever. But just the opening scene of L.A. Confidential, check that out. Because at the time and place, Fuck, from the time that movie was supposedly taking place in the, I think, 50s, up until the, the early 90s, California was a fucking paradise. Okay, so... Albeit a, albeit a liberal paradise. No, but, I, I don't know about that, because hear, hear me out on this, and I've, I've said this many times on this show, too, speaking of California, because I was 14 during the 1988 election between uh, George H.W. Bush and Michael Dukakis. And, wow, you're old. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, I remember how people, I was living, in, now this is what is a liberal shithole today. Back then, I remember people were laughing at Michael Dukakis. And people were were saying like, 
is this guy for real? You know, they ask him, if uh, Kenny Dukakis was raped and murdered, would you seek the death penalty for the perpetrator? And he said no. And he became a laughing stock in California. And what? Not and, to mention the fact that she, you know, tried to kill herself by drinking rubbing alcohol. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, you got that kind of money. You can get it done right. So, yeah, he, he was the biggest laughing stock in politics in California at the time. Those days are just so long over because if he were to run for president today, he'd, he'd win California hand over fist. Uh, I miss those days of politics, actually. The days that when, you know, that was the day, those were the days when California belonged to the greatest president to, to ever have the White House in our time. Double R. Well, you know, I, I, I think that's probably a great idea to say that, but there's also been a lot of great presidents that came out of the state of California. However, I accept that honor humbly. <laughs> I mean, God, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love Donald Trump and I thought he did a great job, but he still wasn't, oh, no. he wasn't no Ronald Reagan. There's a reason. I mean, love the man and most people do. I know Democrats love Ronald Reagan. There's a reason. And I think actually, by the way, he was the last person that actually got like a nickname. You know, Kennedy had Camelot and shit like that. But he was the last one that had a nickname, and he was the great communicator. That man could speak, and he was so engaging that you couldn't help but listen, even if you didn't like what he said. You fucking listened to him. You know, what What do you think uh, Reagan would think of Gavin Newsom or, or, or uh, the Cuomo family now? I mean, I... He'd be ashamed. He, well, I, per, personally, I think he would say that these two particular individuals are complete fucking dumbasses. <laughs> and no, I'm not an impersonist. So, you know, don't send me emails saying how bad my impressions are because they're not good. I know that. No, oh my God. Yeah, we have but to. Speaking of emails, by the way, uh, yeah. Just want to throw it out there. If you have ideas, questions, comments for the show, you can, uh, by the way, email uh, me here at uh, you know Outlaw Radio, of course. But you can do it do it also at the Steve Solution, all one word, at gmail dot com. Or if you actually want to be featured on the show, which apparently nobody's not uh, not calling in yet, but we'll get there. You can do that at one. 732-962-4824. That's 732-YO-BITCH. <laughs> so, by all means, you know, drop us a line. Just remember, you can and will be featured on the show if you do. Yes. So, but as far as Newsom, good God. Have you ever seen anybody backpedal so hard trying to keep their fucking job? I no, he he's the mastered it. He's I mean, you know, you talk to it's like 
you have a kid who lies all the time. And it doesn't matter, you know, and you can tell he's lying. You, you know, you beat his ass, you ground him, whatever. But he keeps lying. And it gets to the point where he learns to lie properly and he, he becomes a good liar. That's yeah, what, but he's not even a good liar. But that's, that's what I'm saying, though, as far he as... He thinks he's a good liar. As far as backpedaling goes, he's mastered the art. He's become quite the master of one of my all-time, and I know it's not a great joke, but two politicians having a debate, and one of them raises a point, and the other one says, stop, you're lying. And his opponent says, well, yes, I am, but hear me out. <laughs> And that is literally Gavin Newsom. He's like, well, of course I'm lying, but listen to me for a second. I mean, we're, we're, like how the hell? I mean, for it, it, this shit literally all started, you know, what, Thanksgiving? When he's, you know, telling Californians that you can only have, you know, I forget the numbers, but it was like X amount of people for your Thanksgiving dinner. And then he has quadruple the number of people. Yeah, there's, I mean, he's done, that's one of the many things he's done. You know, it's like uh, you can't have a barbecue with no more than three people in your yard or whatever, whatever it was. But yet he fills up his house for Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, uh, well, not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, he was at the restaurant, and he tried to, you know, say, well, technically speaking, we were in a screen door or screened-in environment, so we were technically outdoors, and, and dude, the- you literally told your fucking state that they could not have fucking family. Family. Therefore, Thanksgiving, you held what amounted to a fundraising event, and because it was screened in, it was technically outdoors. Oh, gee. No wonder they, the greatest story I can tell about Gavin Newsom, and I love this because I've said this before, you know, I grew up in California. Most of my uh, ill-informed family is from California. And a good portion of them are Democrats, and I still don't understand why, but whatever. My mother being one of them, for 41 years of my life, was one of the most hardcore Democrats I've ever encountered. And yes, we've had arguments about it. All it took was one Thanksgiving and a few speeches from Donald Trump. My lifelong late 60s mother Mm -hmm. became a Republican 
Yeah, uh, thanks to people like Gavin Newsom and Nasty Pelosi and all of the uh, crack scene waterhead, uh, that's something they've done right, is they sure have made a few new Republicans. Yeah, I mean, like I said, my mother, of all people, a woman who once said I was fucking stupid. Granted, you know, we were in the middle of an argument, but, you know, politics came into play. You're stupid for being a Republican. Yeah, I heard that a million times, whatever. Oh, well, suddenly you live in that situation where, you know, being a Democrat doesn't benefit you as someone has to work for a living and all that shit. It finally clicked into her head because she was trying to make Thanksgiving dinner and the governor of her state said, oh, no, you can't have family in your house. Made her do some research and educate herself. And lo and behold, she's like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, I switched political parties. I went, what? She's like, oh, yeah. Basically, what we've learned a lot of times, too, is that uh, being a Democrat does not mean being a fucking communist. That's what these people are. You know, Cuomo, Newsom, fucking just about any anybody who runs a Democratic-run state or city, these people are fucking communists. I don't even know that it's so much that. I think it's so much that they just want to hold the office, particularly in California, which is the most... I mean, New York rivals it, but nobody can really competes with California as far as you know, being a fucking liberal whack job. They do so much pandering that when their pandering backs them into a corner, now Newsom doesn't know what the fuck to do. He's reversed his opinion on everything from fucking public gatherings to restaurants to masks to everything. It's bullshit. literally... It's bullshit. Yeah, he's just trying to tell people what the fuck they want to hear because he doesn't want to be recalled. Well, and I went through, the, I literally was a Californian, lived in the state during the last recall election. And that shit came down to driver's license for illegal immigrants. Yeah, I hate which, to, by the, we're, we've which, only got a way, minute left. Game. <laughs> oh, shit. You were saying, though? Oh, no, please go ahead. Yeah. Uh, you said something though. I, I wanted to hear what you you said though. It came down to uh, illegal aliens with a driver's license. You're right, and the governor was all for it, and it got his ass recalled. When it comes down to it, California is a little more red than we'd like, or the the liberals would like us to think. Yes. All right. Yeah. We we are uh, out of time. I hate to say it, but uh, you know it just goes by so quick quickly when we have these discussions. <laughs> But, uh, well, you know what? There's still more to come with both these guys, so we're going to continue this discussion next week. So Newsom Cuomo Part 2 is next week. All right. Well, we're going to end the show with Sleep Signals 
and Suit and Tie Suicide. As for what's on the agenda for next week, uh, you'll just have to uh, stay tuned. We already know part of it, but uh, as for the rest, uh, definitely uh, keep your eye on the uh, Outlaw Radio Facebook page, and uh, which you can find on the uh, website, outlawradioabs.com. Gonna- like and subscribe. Yes, indeed. And, of course, we'll be back next week. Are you tired of modern pop music that sounds like a dog fucking a squeaky toy? Well, that's why you're listening to Outlaw Radio. We tell bad bed music to piss up a rope. We give you our opinions, and if a fight breaks out, so fucking what? This is Outlaw Radio.
Hey everyone, Bad Billy here. Do you own a business? Or perhaps you're in a band. Or maybe you run a radio show or podcast. Whatever you do, you want to market your brand with custom-made apparel. Look no further than Fresh Baked Tees. T-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, caps, beanies, koozies, banners, and even masks. You can get them all custom-made from Fresh Baked Tees. Prices are reasonable and negotiable. Simply go to freshbakedtees.com, submit your logo, and place your order today. Support Outlaw Radio and friends and buy some cool stuff in the store section of outlawradioabs.com. Show the world how much you love Outlaw Radio with Outlaw Radio t-shirts and hats. In the CTM store, a service of Caravan to Midnight, find items to help make your life easier and better, including water purification by Berkey, delicious long-term storable food by My Patriot Supply, the New Eden Nutritional Support System, the Ionic Toothbrush System, a better way to clean your teeth, the Invisible Mask, a negative ion generator that hangs from your neck like a pendant that mitigates incoming pollution. The High Ion Bio-Key Quantum Scalar Energy Pendant, EMF mitigating fabrics and clothing, and some really cool infrared night vision binoculars. In the Cranked Up Coffee Shop, a service of Cranked Up Live, entertain your taste buds with coffee that even the aficionados love. Some of the best blends from around the world, including Serato and Grindhouse Brew. Visit outlawradioabs.com and click on the store link. A service of Outlaw Radio and AOW Productions. You've heard the phrase, America's most loved brands. And what exactly did our loyalty to some of those most loved brands get us? I'll tell you what, money and lots of it. For organizations and their ideologies that directly conflict with American core values and the American way of life. Enter Etruzu.com, a place for patriots to buy and sell. You can open your own online store for as little as $25 per month and grow your business as big as you want. Buy from patriots and sell to patriots. Everything from ordinary household items to absolutely anything that's available from companies that do not have our country's best interests at heart. With Etruzu.com, you know who you're buying from and you know who you're selling to. Let's make your brand one of America's most loved. Get started at etruzu.com. E-T-R-U-Z-O-O.com. Etruzu, a place where patriots buy and sell. Hi, it's the Big Voice Guy. The one who intros and promos the show you're listening to right now. Hi, my name is Jim Hunt. I voice for a growing list of internet and terrestrial radio stations, podcasts, and businesses. I'd love to spread the word about yours, too. No matter if the message is serious or silly. Whether you want the delivery to be hard-hitting, voice of authority, or conversational, warm, and fuzzy. From fully produced station imaging and commercials to custom phone system messages on hold and IVR prompts, voiceovers for computer games to narrations for presentations, even post-production audio editing and audio cleanup services. Yeah, I do them too. I'm your guy. I do business as Jim Hunt voiceovers and audio services. My rates are reasonable and negotiable because I love internet radio too. Visit my website, jimhuntvo.com. I'm Jim Hunt, at your service. Put my voice and audio production skills to work for you. Let's do this. You have been listening.
listening to Outlaw Radio. Be sure to leave your feedback by calling 208-957-7016. All feedback is played and replied to on the show. Visit our official website at OutlawRadioABS.com. Outlaw Radio is a presentation of AOW Productions. We're here, I am sitting on a porch, writing another song. Wailing Willie David Allen Cole You can't go wrong Such great outlaw boys just like me Man, can't you see Because you can't go wrong with one good outlaw song Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. 